1: This is Reset. I'm Jen White. If someone's ever told you not to go to the south or west side of Chicago, you're not alone. Regular Reset contributor Tanika Lewis-Johnson is the creator of the Folded Map Project, and she runs into people all the time who've said they've been told to steer clear of certain areas of the city.
2: My name is Joey D. I'm 41 years old, and I live in the Palmer Square neighborhood on the north side.
0: I'm Tanya. I'm in my 40s, and I live in East Garfield Park.
2: When I moved to Chicago in 2006, my north side friends told me at the time, never go west of central park avenue or south of pilsen because it's dangerous for white people
0: i guess the first time i was told don't go to the west side i'm from inglewood on the south side it was like my late teens you know when you first start navigating and moving around the city hanging out with different friends from different neighborhoods and it was always don't go to the west side do not go to the west side
2: as my contracting business was expanding I received calls from Austin, Englewood, Garfield Park, Chatham, and South Shore, just to name a few. These communities have difficulty finding contractors to service their areas. Sometimes they'll have a school teacher or a pastor call me and book the appointment for them.
0: And they made it sound like the only things that were there were... You know, gangbangers and drive-bys and open-air drug markets and abandoned buildings, and there was nothing there.
2: To categorize the South and West Sides as dangerous for white people is absurd. It's foolish and completely false. From my own personal experience, some of the most beautiful neighborhoods and people I've met in this city live in these undermined communities.
0: Fast forward the last 10 years I've been living in this neighborhood, East Garfield Park. And I can't imagine being happier.
2: I should also mention that the barbecue is far better than anything we have here on the north side.
1: This word-of-mouth culture impacts most of everyday life for Chicago residents. Who your neighbors are, where your kids go to school, where you spend your hard-earned money on a Friday night. Well, joining us to discuss this is Tanika Lewis-Johnson, creator of the Folded Map Project, and Maria Creason, sociology professor at the University of Illinois at Chicago. She's the co-author of the book, Cycles of Segregation, Social Processes, and Residential Stratification. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. So first, Tanika, remind folks who don't know uh, yes. what the Folded Met, Met Project is and how it examines urban segregation in Chicago.
3: Folded Map um, uses Chicago's grid map to compare addresses that are the same on the same street uh, so people can have a visual understanding of what segregation inequity, and, and disparity looks like. And then I also introduce people who live on the same street, different sides of town, to each other to have a discussion about how they came to live in the neighborhood and what do they think of their neighborhood.
1: And you sent out a message to your network and asked whether people have been told not to go- to the south and west sides. Uh, the voices we heard at the top were from some of those responses. But mm-hmm. what was the overall response
3: like? Overwhelming, actually, because I put out the request not knowing who would respond. And within a week or a week and a half, I would say I got about 60, hmm. 60 responses. And that's just one little request. And all of them had the same story, just different variations, but all being told not to go to the south or west side. What made you ask that question? What made me ask that question is because as I have been doing folded map presentations and workshops, um, it became very clear to me uh, the people that I was interacting with were just outright saying they had been told not to go to the southwest side and so i started thinking about how that contributes to not only the systemic part of segregation but just the interpersonal because i was talking to 18 year olds who were freshmen new transplants to chicago and and i just wanted them to understand that this is important to be part of the conversation so i started asking that question in more workshops and then eventually I recorded it and shared it online.
1: Were there any specific responses that really stood out to you?
3: Not necessarily the responses, but how people are supposed to challenge it, people's confusion on how to approach being told to not go to a specific location when you're new to a city, a school, and how are they going to collect information that would inform them on how they should. And so that was what was interesting to me about it.
1: Maria Creason, you study racial attitudes and segregation in the city. When you hear the voices we heard at the top of this segment and you hear Tanika talking about some of the responses she read, does any of this surprise you?
4: So I don't think it surprises me so much as what I love about this project, and I'm just going to go off of that a little bit, Mm -hmm. is the Folded Map Project takes these things that I study as a sociologist that are so often invisible and sort of mundane really in some ways that are so powerful they make them concrete and visible things that are invisible and mundane that these things that shape segregation in the city of Chicago and they're these things that historically when we study segregation and the causes of segregation we look at these big three explanations they have to do with has to do with money it has to do with discrimination and redlining blockbusting and that whole history of policies and it has to do with people's preferences. But we're really learning more recently, and my book is really about this: is there are these mundane, hidden, plain sight factors that shape how we end up living, where we end up living, and those are the things we've sort of ignored. And these perceptions that she's captured so beautifully here are one of the ingredients of those forces, those things that shape how we end up living where we do, which are the perceptions that we have of places.
1: And when we talk about this being a rather mundane practice, Tanika, you actually have experience with being told not to go to certain parts of the city. Tell us about that.
3: Personally, with me, there's several aspects of how I've encountered not being told to not go to the south or west side. First of all, when I used to meet people and tell them, where I live, (laughs) and there's a reaction, you know, a a question like, oh, you do? How long have you lived there? Or just some kind of reaction that lets me know um, there's a preconceived notion of who lives there, and then also that they haven't been there. And then, you know, growing up, I was also told, um, like one of the respondents, Tanya, to not go to the west side of Chicago. But having gone to Lane Tech for high school, I met a lot of Kids who lived on the West Side. So I eventually did. But yeah, that's definitely played out in my life as well.
1: When you were growing up and you heard those messages, did they strike you as odd at the time?
3: Very odd because I grew up in Inglewood and I was mm-hmm. like, well, the West Side sounds a lot like Inglewood. So I'm not sure <laughs> why I should be scared to go over there. But yeah, it was just confusing and it also opened my eyes to how my own neighborhood could be perceived. So it was just weird kind of understanding how people come to these conclusions and then how they share it with you.
1: Maria, have you encountered that messaging?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean in our research
4: um we you know found all kinds of people saying that over and over again. So when when this project came, I'm like, oh, this is such a great example because people talk about these perceptions, and they're coming from three primary sources. They're coming from people's social networks— they're coming from their lived experiences. The contractor example at the front of the, sh- of the segment is a perfect, it's a great example of this idea. We get them from just mundane things. He's He works around the city, so our jobs mm-hmm. take us to different places, and that exposes us to, but not everybody has those kinds of jobs. A lot of people just go to one place and work in an office and leave, so they, don't, they aren't gathering more rich understanding of the variety of places in our communities. The other place that we get our information is from the media
2: mm-hmm. in
4: both direct ways, and I think probably many of us are all thinking, yes, we get it from the media, from the crime stories that we hear about the South Side of Chicago, but we also get it from other kinds of media. We get it from music. We get it from movies. We get it from classified ads that are telling us what jobs are available in communities or what stores are in places, or or the lack of stories mm-hmm. about a community are also things that send people messages. So if we flip yeah. this around and think about, we talk to respondents for our book that talked about, you know, the best way to know if a place is a good place to live is if you don't hear about it on the news. Yeah. You know, I never hear about a murder fill in fill-in-the-blank of some um, suburb that they're thinking of, so it must be a safe place to live.
1: Mm-hmm. Maria, as you mentioned, your research is on racial, residential segregation and racial attitudes. And your book, Cycles of Segregation, looks at people's mental maps of mm-hmm. the city and where they choose to live. Tell us more about the work in the book.
4: So yeah the book is really um, saying to asking ourselves how do pe- how do people end up living where they end up living mm-hmm. and we talk a lot about the ways in which these mental maps shape the processes that we undertake not just when we're on a house hunting search right we're gathering perceptions of our community every day every day we get up and go out of our house we gather or turn on the news or whatever we're gathering information and we're sort of talking about how those things shape the Multiple stages we go through when we look for a place to live. They weed out places. So we talk to white people in particular who just eliminate. You ask, where would you never live in Chicago? And they just eliminate the entire south and west sides of Chicago Mm -hmm. because they don't and they don't know anything about these communities. Their lived experiences don't take them there. What were some of the reasons people give for that choice? Oh, it's a dangerous and it's high crime it's and the schools are terrible and mm-hmm. your property values will never increase. It's just it's a real litany of a cluster of characteristics that we see that people use as shortcuts, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't when you're doing a house search, you don't detail, investigate every single possible option in the entire metropolitan area and get the census data out and get online and do computer searches. You quickly zero in on a few places and you make those decisions. You eliminate entire places because you don't know anything about them or you're making assumptions about them. You think of if you've never been to the South Side and all you know is in the media, you think the entire South Side is a horrible place
5: to be. Um,
1: Well, we want to listen to another one of the respondents in the Folded Map Network who's been told to avoid the South and West Side. This is Tom.
5: My name is Tom. I'm 28. I live in Little Village, but I grew up in Naperville. I've been told not to go to the South or West Sides essentially my entire life since I was a child. It was never seen as like a um, actual option for me to go to any of those neighborhoods, the reasoning was always that the people on quote those side of the tracks didn't like people like us and um also that I would probably be mugged I would be shot probably or carjacked or something like that and I guess I always found it weird because those same people who would tell me that are people who have never even gone to those places so they're essentially just sort of Parroting back what they've heard from other people in the media, so it's sort of this vicious cycle of dehumanization and disinvestment, um, and it's really scary, actually.
1: Tanika, coming out of these um, these stories, I'm curious, as an artist, how you how you think about the power of these narratives we create for ourselves and and the impact they have beyond. our our individual lives?
3: Making the stories and the issue visible and accessible for people to even talk about. Because it wasn't until uh, I started doing the questions in the Folded Map workshop uh, where people felt comfortable enough to even talk about it. Like, oh God, yes, I've been told. And so if you don't have a space where people can hear this kind of conversation and engage with it then it just continues to not be addressed and this we have to address explicitly Mm. you know it not only just deals with you know the cycle of segregation but the overall investment of our city and how it's being viewed and that's a problem for everyone There's overdevelopment on the north side and disinvestment on the south side. And for me as an artist, I want to create opportunities where that can be intervened, where we can just confront that together and just start the process. Maria, as I'm listening to the voices of
1: people who who shared these stories, what's not talked about explicitly is race. It's couched and coded in this other
4: Language unpack
1: that for us a bit. They don't like to say the word, yeah. I mean,
4: I think, and it, it kind of that kind of picks up on what Tanika was just talking about with respect to the brilliance for me of this whole folded map project, which is that we're having it's an entree into conversations about race that are very difficult to have. I've studied race for decades, and I know especially white people mostly white people, get very uncomfortable talking about race. and But talking about their neighborhoods and talking about the perceptions that they have grown up with is a safer, I think, conversation. It's still uncomfortable, and Toki- mm-hmm. Tonika will tell you about uncomfortable mm-hmm. discomfort in some of the folded map conversations, but it is an easier sell to talk about this and then start to unpack why it is the way it is. Mm-hmm. It is not because, I mean, there are structural reasons that this has has come to pass. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't just because. People felt like living in these places. There were policies and practices and behaviors that created this. And having these conversations starts to allow us to have that conversation that is so hard to have if you come in and say, yeah, "Yeah, racial segregation, race, blacks and whites, getting along in your face kind of discussions.
1: What's really interesting, though, is is people living in historically segregated parts of the city are often blamed for the status quo of their neighborhoods. And... (laughs) You know, in these conversations, Tanika, how does that bump up against what we know about systemic racism? And I actually want both of you to answer that question.
3: This is central to all of the projects that are important to me that I'm doing is the why. Helping people understand the why. If you address why a neighborhood is this way, then you can... Make it easier for people to remove blame off of the residents that live in a neighborhood that is struggling with issues, but helping people understand the why. And that's most important because it's not their fault why their neighborhood is disinvested in It is actually because of historic racism. And once you just lay that out as a fact that everybody has to reconcile with, then you can have a conversation and start to see each other as individuals ideally.
1: Maria, just as we wrap up here, what are some ways people can think about to try to disrupt cycles of segregation in the city?
4: That's not a very big question.
5: <laughs> <laughs> what Sorry. I think what
4: I love about the Folded Map project is that it is an individual level Entree point into these systemic conversations. And if we can start to build some bridges across communities like this so that we don't have, so that we have a cadre of people who are willing to break out of their comfort zones and meet people and learn their stories and hear the story of what it's like to live in each other's neighborhoods. That alone is not going to do it because this is a structural problem, but Mm -hmm. that can perhaps plant the seeds for policy pressure on policymakers and advocacy and social movements that start to say we are all one city of Chicago Mm -hmm. and what happens in the south side affects the north side and vice versa. And we need to start to build some of those bridges.
1: That's Maria Creason, sociology professor at the University of Illinois at Chicago. She's co-author of Cycles of Segregation, Social Processes, and Residential Stratification. Also with us, our regular contributor, Tanika Lewis-Johnson, creator of the Folded Map Project. She's actually developing an activity kit for teens and adults to get into new parts of the city. We'll have you back to talk with us about that really soon. Thank you. All right, Tanika, Maria, thanks so much for speaking with us. Thank you. And that's your Sunday Reset. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your weekend. We'll be back tomorrow with a brand new episode. So watch your feed so we can talk again soon.
2: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more.